1: the evil sorcerer wizard powers the engine of science, seeking to forever alter the sacred balance, traveling on effervescent balls of summer fire.
0: This week, Stargate.
2: In the year 2570 BC, the human beings completed construction of the Great Pyramid of Giza. Or did they?
0: Did you say the Greek Pyramid of Giza?
2: I said the Great Pyramid of Giza.
0: Oh, good. Okay, I heard it wrong.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, the pyramids and the Sphinx—they're in Greece, right? Yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> that's what—that's
0: that, what Americans believe, at least. <laughs> yes. Um. Yeah. Okay, that's a good year to go for because. 1994 is seared to my brain on today's movie stargate this is matt here this is luke this is the sci-fi sanctuary luke you live near a
2: stargate i do live near a stargate yeah i tried jumping through it but must not have been turned on you what was it you
0: were expecting to end up in your hometown
2: well there's another there's another very similar big round stone art piece near where I grew up so I figured it'd be pretty cool if I could teleport back and forth between Japan and the UK. (laughs)
0: Um, Anyway the approach to this film and I'll I'll be talking whack possibly boss ancient history stuff somewhere along the line but um, what we're kind of looking for today is an interesting approach to fandom because we're all coming to Stargate from pretty different places so first let's bring in our guest he's from the Mission Log podcast talking about every episode of star trek ever over a long period of time hello norman
1: lao hey everyone hey uh, matthew hey luke uh, thanks for having me back uh, I, i'm glad to be here and don't worry uh, my chevrons are locked but i'm not leaving yet so <laughs> we're good there
0: that's the, you got the sequence wrong luke that's the problem if you got the sequence yeah. you would have been there but um yeah i feel like we're all coming from very different fandom approaches to this so um Luke, you were telling me you're you're actually this movie guy. This movie is your thing, right?
2: Yeah, like I did watch a fair amount of SG-1 and stuff, uh, mostly because my dad was really into it. But I've always been a big fan of the film specifically. I mean, I guess I'm just a Roland Emmerich fan.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you're but talking I'm, like, you know, Universal Soldier, this, ID4, Godzilla. Oh, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. yeah I just sure. like real cheesy, the good guys win spectacle. Sometimes that's enough for me.
0: Okay. Cause I came into Stargate like as backwards as possible. My dad and I went and saw this uh, when it probably opening weekend. This is when I just saw things on opening weekend. And I I don't think we were blown away. We were just like, that was a movie. Cool. Um, But yeah, my roommate uh, just after university was really into SG1. So maybe it was 2007, 2008. It's when Borders Books was going out of business in America. (gasps) And I, uh, (laughs) yes, (laughs) I love that (laughs) store. And I got the first season of SG1. And I think 2007 was just exactly the wrong time to try start, to start to watch SG-1 because it had clearly dated by that point, but it hadn't like turned back around into being like the cool kind of dated. It just didn't look right. So um, fast forward a few years later and it's probably a Black Friday sale. Battlestar has just ended. and I, I see Universe is like, you know, 10 bucks for the Blu-ray. So I get, I, I watch Universe first. I like Robert Carlyle. That was my other hook. And then from that, another Black Friday sale, I got the uh, complete set of Atlantis. I watched all of Atlantis. I liked it. That was that was kind of my, you know, I've seen too much next gen. So now I'm watching Atlantis. Um, and I still haven't seen SG-1. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I will get, to, I think now I I get where I can watch it now and enjoy it. The other thing was, it was right when the TVs had all gone widescreen and here I am watching like a, a standard frame thing, which my TV now will stretch it out to the widescreen, which is fake. But yeah, I, I think I'm ready for it. But uh, 15 years ago, I was, it was a bad place for SG1. myself we flowed so hard on that conversation I didn't get a chance to do the plot summary but here it is right here right now Van Halen style linguist Daniel Jackson PhD is contacted by an elderly woman to translate hieroglyphs on stones that her father had discovered almost 70 years prior in Egypt the mysterious stones are now under the custody of the US Air Force which believes translating them will activate the Stargate, a large circular portal that was found near the stones. Jackson does his job and joins a special operations team led by Colonel Jack O'Neill into the gate, which leads to another galaxy. They end up in an Egyptian-style temple that sits before a clone of the Great Pyramid. The team sets up a base camp while Daniel begins playing with the local fauna, which leads him to discover a community of humans living in a low-tech city. Before the away team of Jackson, O'Neill, and a couple of redshirts can return, a massive sandstorm traps them in the city and sends the soldiers still at the base to retreat back to the temple. In the city, the team discovers that writing is forbidden by Ra, The alien god who is currently landing his pyramid spacecraft on top of the Great Pyramid clone. Ra and his cohorts kill or capture the team members in the temple and repeat that MO once the city team returns. Jackson is killed when faced with Ra in his throne room but is resurrected. Ra notes that O'Neill brought a nuclear bomb along, and Ra plans to send it back through the Stargate, where it will explode on Earth, its power expanded a hundredfold. Our surviving intrepid explorers face a losing battle to stop Ra and his forces, but are supported by the native population just when it seems the jig is up. They have decided to no longer cower to the false god Ra, O'Neill and his surviving soldiers return home while Jackson stays behind because he met a girl. I think you kind of
3: recently
1: got into the SG1 real house, if I'm uh, seeing it correctly. Yeah, this, for SG1, I'm I'm a little bit more recent, but for Stargate, I was there. You know, very much like uh, like Luke, you were there in 1994. So I remember 19 the 1990s were. An, it was an interesting decade of kind of like this. This lull in like sci fi fantasy, you know, franchises. You no, know, there were a lot of like really good action films or a lot of really good action dramas, romantic comedies, and rom coms were kind of like on the rise. But there was this like, there's really interesting period where superhero movies were not great. I'm mm. looking at you, Fantastic Four, both of them, you know, and all of the, you know, the attempts to do things like Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat 2, I'm looking at you too, you know, so science fiction, hard science fiction. Which this isn't, but I'm just gonna say science fiction was just kind of like in this, like this null and void type of space. And what I liked about Stargate when I watched it, it was just it was it was vanilla science fiction. You know, it was um it wasn't really offensive, it wasn't really memorable, it was just entertaining. And you could just go in there and you know, you pay your, I don't know what the ticket prices were back then in 1994 but I'd say like maybe 10 bucks, you know, you get your popcorn, you get your soda you escape for a couple hours or an hour and some, you know, 40 something minutes and then you're gone, you're done. And I, you know, what? it's the interesting thing. It's like the, the rise of home video is like really where I think like Stargate kind of started to, to reintegrate its roots, like with the fandom, because, you know, you would go into a video store and say, like, I haven't seen that since the theaters. I'll go watch it again. And you know, you're 72 hours of rental time. You'll watch it maybe once or twice and you'll kind of like fall in love with the movie because again, there's, there's nothing really wrong with the movie. It's entertaining and that's it. You know, there, a couple things could be fixed to make it really, really great. But for the most part, it's just, it's a popcorn movie. And like, I agree with Luke, there's nothing wrong with just a really good popcorn movie. It doesn't have to change your life, right? And it doesn't have to make the lastingest impression for good or ill. It just has to entertain.
0: And I think that's good enough. It's a very different movie, although I guess it's still kind of the desert, but I'm, I'm hearing your explanation there and kind of thinking like, gee, that's also the Casablanca explanation. But something extra happened there, I
1: guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in Casablanca, well, here's the thing. It's like I have this in, in Stargate. There are, there are three things that I think, uh, and I wanted to pitch these ideas to you guys to think, I think that this would make Stargate a far more memorable movie. Number one, first and foremost, it needs a proper villain. It mm. really does. Mm. The, the biggest problem with Stargate is that you really don't care about why the heroes are going through the machinations that they're going through. Ra is a paper tiger. And the, the idea of Ra is great. The idea that he's an alien and he, you know, he basically established like the mythology of like the Egyptian culture on earth, et cetera, et cetera. If you've seen the film, you know, and if you've seen SG-1, you know that that goes way into Abydos and Apophis and the Goa'uld and all of that. But in the in the movie, Ra really does nothing except for look really, really cool. And Jay Davidson, much to his credit, looks fantastic in the role of Raw. But you just can't, you just can't, um, John Champion has this great phrase. You can't have, especially the villain, you can't have a character, a costume in search of a character. That's what Ra is. There's nothing to Ra that makes him threatening at all. And you only have to tweak one or two things with him and he would be amazing as a villain. And that's why I think that Stargate is kind of not so memorable.
2: Yeah, he, also, he, has, he comes into the film really late as well. Yeah, he doesn't have much time. Like They arrive, and then the problem at first is just, oh, we don't know how to get back. If they'd made it that he'd deliberately taken the Stargate from them or something, like right from the start, there was a reason they're in jeopardy. But yeah, like you say, he just doesn't do a lot. Right. So, I, yeah, that's I, definitely true.
1: I think that um, in, in, in the course of the story, we know that Jack O'Neill is suffering, you know, this, this this great suicidal depression because of what happened to his son. Mm. Then he creates this relationship with Scara, which goes further and further and further along into SG One, uh, Alexis Cruz. So I was thinking that there was there was a scene, and a very telling scene, where the very first time that Jack and, uh, you know, and um, oh gosh, I forgot his name, it's so memorable,
2: uh, James Spader. Oh, Daniel Jackson. Daniel, Daniel Jackson. Jackson. So yeah, I heard Jack- Michael Jackson when he first came on. <laughs> See, because I was Jackson, always really? amused <laughs> that it feels like the two main characters are called Jack Daniels and Daniel Jackson.
1: Right? I'm like my brain <laughs> short circuiting, trying to figure out their guys' names. So I should say, like, I should say, you know, uh, Richard Anderson and uh, you know, and Michael Shanks, you know, those two guys. But anyway, so you have Jack and you have um, Daniel and Daniel, and then they're about to attack Ra, and then Ra surrounds. He doesn't ask for this to happen. The children surround him by by default. Right. That's, that was their kind of like pre-programmed action to protect their leader. So what if in some way, Ra was the one who was stealing all the children from, um, I think it's the, the village is called Navida or Nagata. And that's what his big, bad motivation is to like brainwash the next generation of slaves, especially a hierarchy of slaves who become his Jaffa or his soldiers, because, you know, the Horus and the Anubis soldiers have to come from somewhere Mm-hmm. Why not the children? So, having Scara in there and having that connection with Jack O'Neill, and maybe having Scara turn into kind of like his brainwashed bodyguard that he knows Jack would never fire on. That would have been a great like motivation for him to be a villain, you know, and and for uh, have a buffer between him and Jack, where Jack eventually saves Scara, a la I'll shoot you in the leg and you fall, then I'll kill Ra after that kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? So there needs to be something in between the heroes and the villain that gives them both purpose. Cause if you have a, if you don't have a villain, you don't have heroes, right? You know, that's, that's the old saying, you know, your, your heroes are only as good as the villain that inspires them to do their great deeds. So if Ra's doing nothing, what are our heroes doing? You know, aside from just they're actually Jack is kind of the villain Mm, in this case. Yeah. 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 Very different
0: character. I I guess we should talk a little bit about the actors in that case, because that is such a contrast. Um, before I move too far off a of ride, we'll just mention, I, I was looking, I didn't know that Jay Davidson, you know, made a big splash with the crying game, decide I'm finished. They pretty much literally drove a truckload of money to his house to do this role. He did it, and then he was out, finished. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no more credits. So I, I yeah. guess it's like, you know, he made the most of his 15 minutes, made into 30 minutes, really, so... <laughs> Had a bad but, payday, right? Yeah, I was watching this last night, kind of thinking like, how much of Kurt Russell's film career is informing Jack? Because Jack is n- not likable in this movie. Mm. The show he is here. No, he's not likable at all. So, how much are we supposed to be kind of channeling that we know Snake Pilson or um, geez, I forgot his big trouble character, but uh, Jack Burton. Thank you. Okay, you see, uh, I forgot Jack, Jack Burton, Jack, Jack O'Neill, Daniel Jackson,
1: <laughs> Jack Daniels Burton. It's all very confusing.
0: We're jacking, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was like, I wonder how much you need to just have the Kurt Russell vibe to really enjoy his performance in this movie.
2: But I feel like he isn't necessarily meant to be the likable one because you've got Daniel there as the sort of leading man, lovable guy. Like, he is meant to be this slightly dark enigma of a character who comes around at the end um here there is actually because i always in my head go and watch this film expecting sg1 o'neill to show up i forget what a character he is in this and like there is like a whole backstory and he's quite a dark figure
1: and they do touch on this in sg1 which is nice because you know they continue the mythology of these characters and it's funny, too, because, you know, the uh, the Kurt Russell that you see or the Jack O'Neill that you see at the very beginning of the movie is rocking like the, you know, the Wyatt Earp haircut you mm. know, from Tombstone. Also kind of like the Wyatt Earp tan. So it's, it's kind of like he just basically rolled from Tombstone, like into, uh, in, you know, into Stargate. But uh, one thing that I, I, I saw another podcaster or YouTuber say this about Kurt Russell, and this is very true. Kurt Russell is a very uh, his characters are very egocentric and very bombastic and kind of braggadocious. You know, that's what you expect from a Kurt Russell character. Your Jack Burton's, you know, uh, his character in Tango and Cash, uh, maybe not so much in The Thing, but even, you know, McMurphy or McReady, he's like a, a, a lot more memorable than, say, the the strong and silent type. And, and Jack gets there kind of closer towards the end. He becomes a little bit more of, of what we expect, you know, from Kurt Russell. But he was kind of like you know riffing off of which did, did Soldier come before this or after this? Because it's kind of like the, he had the same haircut in both, right? He had that like ridiculously awesome flat top.
0: I can't quite remember because I saw this opening night, but I saw Soldier at the Dollar Theater, so okay.
1: <laughs> it's hard to work out which one was first. <laughs> but I mean, he just is, he doesn't really play the the silent, you know, enigmatic type. I think, at least for me, well, it's always just kind of, he's always in your face. He's always kind of, you know, again, just braggadocious and egocentric. But, yeah, I I don't know. He he does
2: play it well. It's just not necessarily what you want from your Kurt Russells. Right. Totally. Yep. A Soldier was uh, quite a few years later.
1: Okay. So he rolled that haircut and that personality into Soldier,
0: Mm. right? Yeah. I did... um... Just from looking at, at some of the making of stuff, it seems that the first scenes were the final scenes they filmed. So he probably did have that uh, on site uh, filming location ten. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he filmed you know Tombstone in the interim. I don't know. That was ninety three, I think. Though, so. yeah, it's <laughs> been a while since I saw that. But yeah, I guess I'm gonna give have to having not seen that much SG one. I, I guess I do have to give a point to Richard Dean Anderson for for the Colonel. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And I know that uh, RDA said in, in interviews about um, when they, they were romancing him for the character, he's like, I can't be Kurt Russell. I can't play an entire season of this guy just being tortured. You know, that, first of all, that's not me. And second of all, that's going to be a really boring character to watch, mm. you know, for 22 some odd episodes. There's nowhere to go. So, sure, does does his O'Neill with two L's, by the way, remember, two L's, <laughs> does his O'Neill uh, grow? Yeah. Because he gives him room to grow. He has a sense of humor, but there are times where Jack, his, RDA's Jack O'Neill still goes dark when he needs to go dark and, and access those emotions. But yeah, Stargate, the SG one in the film, while they're similar in, in many respects, they also are like worlds apart. Pardon the pun. Stargate's <laughs> apart in many respects.
0: Yeah. The, the extra L that he dropped, that was his baggage. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, how about for Daniel Jackson? I, I, Again, I haven't seen that much SG-1, but I kind of feel like with Michael Shanks and um, James Spader, I don't really know which one I prefer. (laughs) But maybe you guys have a stronger opinion on that.
2: Uh, This this is the one cast member as a kid I genuinely thought it was the same actor. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's why
0: I can't figure out which one I prefer. It is weird because I I think at this point, and I guess this is basically almost James Spader's big budget lead because he always seemed just about to to break and never quite did. And then he just started doing like stuff like secretary, which was awesome, but that wasn't going to get him, you know, major roles. Uh,
1: <laughs> so much. In Robert, Ca- Robert, California, right in the office. Which oh, yeah. Right oh, that yeah. was
0: fantastic. Yeah,
1: you know, Shanks did such a great job at channeling James Spader. Like, uh, and, and I think that's uh, much to his credit and also kind of like much to the detriment of the character that uh, his uh, Shanks' version of Daniel Jackson was essentially more of an extension of the movie character than rda as, as jack O'Neill, and i i mean right down to the haircut i mean they had the same kind of like long feathered haircut had the same glasses uh and, and they gave him the framework that that daniel jackson was left in you know at the end of stargate they gave him you know there was shaori also played by different actress. It wasn't uh, milia avital it was different actress but you know scar was there they're on abydos so Daniel Jackson coming into frame, you almost believe that it's James Bader coming back onto TV. And again, Michael Shanks, he he is playing him. He's not playing Michael Shanks playing Daniel Jackson. He's playing Michael Shanks playing James Bader playing daniel jackson <laughs> so but he does come into so he shakes that a little bit you know later on in sg1 you know luke you know this the, the he, he cuts his hair you know his uh, he drops his glasses from time his glasses literally are the strongest substance in the known universe i mean those glasses <laughs> yeah. get trashed right They're, they must be made out of nakwada or whatever you know the stargate min- mineral is but um, <laughs> yeah he, he goes through different permutations and he drops the james spader act but he's easily like the 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 link that 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 connects like both of the both of the franchises so to speak
0: are either of you guys familiar with Graham Hancock no nope okay he's a he's a British writer I I kind of feel like they might have sort of based this character off of Graham Hancock it would have been quite early in his career um but he uh he was a journalist in the 80s doing and then got into sort of uh his books are like fingerprints of the gods magicians of the gods so he's a big proponent of past uh civilizations things you know like not necessarily atlantis but well sure atlantis could be an example of that uh and he is an a real life proponent of pushing the date of the pyramids back to like uh 10,000 bc or something so um there is actually kind of a real life template for this character. He would have put out fingerprints of the gods by this point, so that that was a big splash. That was the first one where it's like, nah, nah. he's not saying it's aliens. He's kind of like, oh, an earlier iteration of humanity had had done this stuff, which I think that's a really cool vibe. So, and I guess that's pretty much what uh, Daniel Jackson's thing is too. So, yeah, he's not I- saying
1: it's aliens. He's saying it's aliens, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, we did a um a podcast on ancient aliens, and we chose the Japanese one, which turned out to be a mistake because most of those aren't whack enough. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. The problem is the ancient alien stuff is a little bit mainstream in Japan, so the episode didn't seem that ridiculous.
0: But um, yeah, the Grand Hamcock line. And I think that would also be the Daniel Jackson line: is we are a species with amnesia. As in we've, we've done a whole lot in the past and something like the Pyramids or Gobleki Tepe would be uh, examples of that. But uh, so I, I guess that's the, um, they, they call it pseudoscience, but hey,
2: it's, it's interesting, I guess. <laughs> My main takeaway from this character is he's just one of those examples of a writer is trying to write a genius, but the writer's not that smart. <laughs> so there's all these scenes where he's made these incredible breakthroughs, these genius Insights, and it's like, how dumb were the people working on this project for five years that they didn't figure this out? <laughs> yeah, see, like, none of them thought to look at the stars.
1: <laughs> but maybe it takes kind of like that, that roguish genius,
2: you know? Yeah, to, well, that, to make that's that clearly what they're you know? going for, right? It's just like, come on
1: i had this idea um because i was thinking about uh another conversation i had regarding the stargate now they had the stargate for and i don't want to spoil the the tv show there's a reason why the stargate you know wasn't used for a period of time but when they resurrected the program you know in uh, about the the cheyenne mountain facility one per, uh, person i was having a conversation with said why don't they just basically touch like every single symbol and lock those chevrons and they had the first six all they needed the seventh one and there are only x amount of symbols on the stargate just process of elimination them mm. I'm like that's not a bad argument you know uh, maybe they're afraid that if they do lock something something could explode they don't know they know there's the uh there's the happenstance of we don't know what's going to happen but i always thought it would be interesting if there was like a limited amount of energy in the stargate itself like based on the mineral that they find on abydos so they had only a handful of attempts Where they could try it, and they tried it maybe two out of three times with the material that they have, and then they needed Daniel Jackson because if he didn't decipher it on his attempt, that's it—like the project's done. You know, they're Mm -hmm. out of gas; it's over. So, yeah, if you could lock down the whole point of okay, we tried two out of eight symbols, why not try the other six? Right? (laughs) Because somewhere in that in those six has got to be the right one. I mean, that's just logic, right? But if you had six symbols left and you only had two more attempts, right, the odds now change yeah. and the drama gets heightened. So, although you do
0: run the risk of um, unleashing some kind of unknowable Lovecraftian horror as well. So,
1: <laughs> ah, risk is our like Kirk, like James D. Kirk says, man, risk is our business. No risk, no reward. Right?
0: <laughs> Get Nick Cage on and watch him go crazy again. That's fun. <laughs> I don't actually maybe That's it wasn't right. Cheyenne Mountain oh no no this is at Fort Meade Maryland it is uh, just talking military the actual project Stargate which uh, supposed went from 1978 to 1995 and was an attempt of the military to um, use remote viewing yeah yeah <laughs> using the power of your mind you you know go you go into the basement of the Kremlin and uh, do some spying with your mind. So, but they went on with that for 17 years. uh, They went on with this. So kind of, kind of amazing. Um, I mean, it's much cooler to have, you know, the giant gate to that with the watery effect to go into, but it's just kind of interesting that there, there actually is a Stargate project. Yeah. So, which is, now finished, but that that would be the real life equivalent of what they were doing in the uh, at the facility just as a, a little fun fact
2: yeah, it'd be more exciting if it was a real stargate not just a bunch of dudes sitting around doing meditation sessions and getting the government to pay them money
0: <laughs> yeah but supposedly they're like meditating and going to mars with their meditations so
2: yeah i know, I know all about <laughs> project stargate but it was just a massive scam on uncle sam so more power to them <laughs>
1: Technically, would that be called a pyramid scheme? <laughs> hey. hey. Yeah. So what do y'all think?
0: Uh, in the movie, of course, um, we have aliens from another galaxy in the movie. That's also, I that, I was like, whoa, another galaxy? I thought that was the whole point of Atlantis. But uh, again, the movie TV obviously has a little bit of chop. Um, mm. <laughs> but um, yeah, what what do you think for the pyramids?
2: I'm never a big fan of theories where aliens built big earth things because i just find it more romantic and interesting to think that people put in a lot of effort and built those things and it it usually comes from a place of well non-whites couldn't have done this so aliens must have helped them is i think usually where this thinking comes from (laughs) if we're being honest
1: I mean, it kind of goes into the whole, um, a different way of looking at fantasy, you know, science fiction is just a different definition of fantasy. Um, Mm. so, you know, I I like it from, from the, just the fantastical elements of it, uh, where you're looking all the way back. Okay. So, you know, full disclosure, I had absolutely zero problem in Highlander two, when they said planet Zeist, I had zero problem with it. Not my favorite, not the way I would want to go, but I had no problem with it myself. Mm. And I like it just because when you say something like it's so far away, (laughs) A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, some alien decided to usurp the identity of another alien and then using that aliens entire cultural aesthetic created like one of the most mythological and ancient civilizations of our planet of the of planet Earth, so you kind of like start looking at how far back you can trace that lineage, and it just becomes mind boggling. So like, why not aliens? Now I completely get you, Luke. Like you know, Gene Roddenberry never wanted to like basically credit aliens for you know, um, or supplanting the alien mythology for what humans are capable of doing, you know, human beings are capable of going, doing great things and going, reaching the stars. But at the same time though, if that were true, then the Vulcans never would have made first contact. We would have gotten to a space all by ourselves. Right. Mm. So that's, that's the argument that I can lay against that. Like, oh, sure. We had the engine, but it takes the Vulcans, their interference to, to get us further than what we're capable of doing, but we got there in the first place. Right. Yeah. So, um, i think it's cool i just think it just you know it goes into the whole kind of like in search of you know leonard nimoy show all the way back from like the 1970s and you know like hey what if our ancestors worked with other worlders and built these ancient structures Mm. you know so you know and it goes into the whole like you know there was like you know 3.14 was never invented you know there's no mathematics you know there's no pythagorean theorem there's none of that stuff existed in the era of which mathematics that were needed to make those pyramid structures. So,
0: or again, they were lost. Um, Something, one theory I've seen um, is the idea of uh, like kind of a plant substance that would actually, you would make this mixture that would soften rock for a time and the Hmm. idea that they would use this to actually form them. And Oh, that actually, if, if they had that technology, it's very analog, very organic. I mean, you know, might be a whole bunch of BS, but I like that kind of idea. Just like, you know, people that we might call primitive had these like really like, in, you know, ingenious methods that we, we can't even get because uh, I think it was about 20 years ago, uh, Mitsubishi tried to build a smaller great pyramid and could, couldn't could manage
1: it. So think about what they had. They had basically a lot of beer, a lot of dudes and a lot of grease and a lot of manpower and a lot yeah. of time. I mean, there was nothing to do except for like hump rock, like or lift, I should say lift rock. Right. (laughs) And that's it. You know, there's nothing else to do. And if you want to, if you want to eat that night, you are lifting a lot of rock. That's it. You know, very simple.
2: Yeah. This is a a a little bit bit off topic, but just off what Matt said, I recently learned a great fact Um, in like ancient Rome and Greece and Egypt, that sort of area of the world, they had a plant which they used as a um, contraceptive. And they basically shagged so much that plant went extinct. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, yeah. Which is anytime you see someone try and argue that the idea of sex for pleasure is a modern idea, you just tell them that.
0: Come on, the Romans had orgies.
2: <laughs> yep. Did they call that plant B? I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. Right.
0: I, I saw I saw Caligula. <laughs> <laughs> actually um one of our that was funny one of our regular guests uh, andrew that he doesn't drink or anything so for his 21st birthday he was like i'm renting caligula because you couldn't rent caligula unless you were 21 so instead That's of true. going to the bar he was like we're getting caligula
2: oh <laughs> well, yeah I, I think i've told this on the podcast before for my 18th i went out and bought mortal Kombat. i bought some alcohol some cigarettes i bought rambo and i bought some cutlery <laughs>
1: <laughs> what? what was the cutlery for because
2: I could oh. Oh. but then I bought an apple pie so we had something to eat with the cutlery
1: so these are all like the verboten
2: things that you were able to get since you were past Yeah, 18 and I didn't get asked for ID for any of them so I could have done it the day before there you go
0: <laughs> you have to be 18 to buy cutlery what you have to be 18 to buy a knife oh okay just a normal Okay, but so I... I was sitting there thinking of silverware like
2: that is what I bought because officially it's any knife
0: oh okay you were just flaunting the rules then
2: yeah. I mean, I didn't go and buy like a big bowie knife or something. I just bought a set of cutlery, but
0: yeah. Um, we haven't really gotten too deep into the swank design of this movie. Um, I'll just start off with a, uh, apparently the Stargate was originally painted black, but looked like a tire. So they had to kind of change it. Because I think all the all the helmets are still pretty like obsidian looking, right? And the Stargate mm-hmm. was supposed to match that, but it just it looked like you
2: know, like a uh, Michelin ad. So they they had to change it. I think the design mm-hmm. Actually, is the reason I got so into this film. As a kid, I had a bit of an ancient Egypt phase. And here's just all these cool, like, cyborg-looking Horuses and Anubises and spaceships and the spear laser beams and stuff. Yeah, that was, for little five-year-old Luke, that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. So that's why this videotape got watched so much. <laughs>
1: I mean, what I love about kind of like where we're at with uh, DVDs and behind the scenes footage and things like that on the 15th anniversary, which is the one that I have and I watched their behind the scenes footage and their, especially their interviews with uh, George Satopoulos, you know, who was the, 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 property manager and designer, he created some of the coolest things. Like if it weren't for him, we, the, the, the death gliders wouldn't look like scarabs. You know, he, he has this story about how he had this scarab belt buckle made for Ra's costume, and then I think it was maybe Mario Kassar or one of the producers, maybe it was Roland, he turned it on its side and said, this would make a great ship. And mm-hmm. there it was, you know, the, the death gliders were born. Uh, so if anyone like really wants like, you know, like, if you want to get into like really like, the nitty-gritty of all that kind of stuff, the behind the scenes of the 15th, the 15th anniversary collection is really strong, like really well-packed full of like a lot of good stuff, especially design stuff.
2: I'm just Sorry, looking at the glider now. And it is really cool.
0: Yeah, I definitely love the uh, form-fitting spaceship as well. Just, uh, you know, making the pyramid look tiny. So there you go. You know, maybe, maybe humans built the pyramid, but the aliens get to build the really giant, cool thing that goes on top of the pyramid.
2: <laughs> well, I, I hadn't realized how long there was between this and the mummy. Because it felt oh, like yeah. the 90s was all about ancient Egypt, but there was a good five years between them.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was just hearing um, about, uh, I think it's the producer, Jim Jacks, we already talked about Tombstone, who he did that. Um, He did like a simple, I think he might have done a simple plan. A bunch of, he just was going around doing like everything in the 90s, but The Mummy is where he sort of caught fire as a producer. Mm. But uh, yeah, is is this the start of the, the Roland Emmerich thing? I don't recall seeing any of his movies before this. And then after it, that's when we get into like independent, not in, yeah, Independence Day and, and um Day After Tomorrow, all that sort of stuff.
2: There was like a run where it was every two years of like Stargate, Independence Day, Godzilla, Day After Tomorrow, where I guess yeah, he was on top of the rel- world.
3: Yeah,
0: because um, him and Michael Bay were like kind of the go-to spots for your late 90s and early 2000s blockbusters, you know?
2: I guess, he was obviously making films before this, but I guess he was just slowly going up and up and up in budget.
0: That because... might be the thing here. Like there, as much cool design and stuff there as there is, it seems a little bit sparse.
2: I guess. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Th- of I the don't. Desert. This film looks great, but in very sporadic moments. I don't think it was a mega budget movie. You
1: can also, yeah, two years you before can also... this was so...
2: Universal Soldier. So yeah. Mm.
1: And you can also kind of link like the the, the heavier production sequences with the heavier plot-driven sequences because when you're in they never mention Abydos by name. So when you're on the planet, there's the Pyramid of Giza or the Pyramid of mm. Ra, and then just sand. Yeah. And then there's you know, and then there's uh, uh the the village, and then there's more sand, you know, and then the rest of the set piece is Ra's Pyramid. So. There isn't, yeah, there isn't really like a lot of like practical props or practical buildings that are needed. You know, it was actually, um, you know, to point, uh, to, to pull a dune phrase, there was like a lot of desert power that was going on towards the end with the villagers. And hmm. then open sand makes for great like David Lean style action sequences like Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, that's true. I guess,
0: yeah, especially looking back, once you get his uh, everything, including the kitchen sink movies later this one comes out looking a little sparse and um he's good but he, yeah, he's not david lean is he <laughs> mm-hmm. um i do like the city a lot though because i i'm you know i think i've already betrayed i have the more ancient i can get the more interested i am so you know reading about like ruins of jericho or something like that's always kind of fascinating so i really did dig their um their city design
2: so yeah the scene i, think- I really love is the very start of the film, like the absolute beginnings of human civilization when Ra first shows up. Cause I've been on a big kick recently of reading about like the earliest cities in like the near East and stuff like that. So it's, I love seeing, well a bit later, Roland Emmerich goes on and does 10,000 BC. So he's obviously also super into very ancient history. And not unfo- necessarily accuracy within that.
1: Un- unfortunately with, uh, the theatrical version it doesn't open with the you know the eight thousand years ago you know I think I heard that
2: scene as yeah an extended yeah.
1: scene that was added into the extended version which again it makes more sense and it it does get repeated later on when they're discussing Ra's character and you know when they hmm. when they find like all of the cave paintings you know, on Abydos, uh, again which is not mentioned I just used it as a reference name so yeah the theatrical version and the extended cut version even though. Most of it's the same. Nine minutes of footage really mm. does kind of change the pace of the movie. Yeah, yeah,
0: quite a bit. I mean, that's what happened. Um, what was it when we did when we did Legend? I think um I watched the longer one. And Luke watched the the theatrical cut, and mm. Luke and I was like, man, that movie's a bit of a slog. And Luke was a little keener on it because of that. So you know, so sometimes you don't want to add the footage in. Um, but I
2: think. Which way around was it, but one of us had a much better ending than the other in that one.
0: Oh, geez, I don't
2: remember. Because I think in like my ending, he just, him and the girl of Happily Ever After, and then in your ending, it's like, no, I'm a child of the forest, and he just leaves her and goes back to being a child forever.
0: You, that's right. So, yeah, that totally changes the flavor. Whereas Stargate's yeah. added scenes, I guess, I guess, do just serve to add some context, which is nice. So
2: Yeah, and I think in this sort of, because if you cut that scene out, it's actually a lot of film before anything supernatural or sci fi happens. Um, so it's nice to have that scene just to give you a little taste of like, don't worry, cool stuff is coming. You're going to see some archaeology and some math and some science, but don't worry, cool spaceships and stuff are coming later.
1: <laughs> I mean, un- like, unfortunately, I-, I think that there are so many uh, very very recognizable themes that are going on in Stargate. You have obviously the science fiction theme. You have the desert theme, and you also have the desert archaeology theme. So I remember it was being unfairly kind of compared to, oh, it's just Raiders in space, which is not even remotely mm. what Stargate is. You know, but you know, there there's a scene in the theatrical trailer where it starts off with you know 1929, one or 29, like you know, archaeological dig at the pyramids of Giza, and all of a sudden you know you see kind of like that raiders-esque flavor to it because you no know, raiders only happens you know another 10 years later 1936 or 1941. so yeah i mean but it's it's like it almost kind of feels like stargate was at the point where people just said oh it's that oh it's that oh it's that mm. oh it's that you know it's yeah and it never really got the fair shake it, it it deserved but i think now since you can go and since there's a whole new generation of fans that can like go and access things for the very first time and not compare it to like the the wealth of information that super geeks like us you know saw when we were in the theaters there's no point of comparison so they're like oh this is neat as opposed to well i'll just give you know indiana jones a space gun you know and you got stargate i'm like no that's not how it is at all <laughs> that really might be how i
0: was coming in the theater in 1994 uh because i would have seen the preview i'm sure and in- I can definitely see 15 year old Matt kind of expecting that when going into the theater. So that might've been like, maybe, maybe for you as well. Like that's actually what you were expecting when you first saw it. And sometimes when something's a little different than the trailer, you know, it it takes you a a little bit of time to like make that connect and appreciate what the movie actually is. Um, I just, I love sometimes showing people the original theatrical trailer for 2001, a space odyssey, because it's just so wrong. (laughs) (laughs) It, like, doesn't get the tone right at all. It makes it look like an action-adventure. It has the narrator guy talking about an adventure in space. And just, it's not a movie whatsoever.
2: the the film that i conflate stargate with because of those opening scenes is always the fifth element Mm -hmm. because the fifth element opens with that flashback scene to the alien landing in ancient egypt well not sorry in like 1920s egypt so i think when i was watching this i was like oh as a kid i definitely got these two confused because they were both like tapes that were in circulation in my house and they both open with these flashback scenes but yeah, then go very different places with them. Yeah, it's
0: interesting uh, I guess it's kind of like the thing where the, the, I guess, you know, there's like multiple distribution deals or selling scripts. So I, I wonder if someone's draft just, you know, got spotted by a few different people. So,
2: Oh, there's just, you know, uh, that there's a phase where people were really thought Egypt was cool. Well, again, this would have been like, Post Cherry Other Gods, ancient alien stuff is just has seeped into the consciousness a little bit. Yeah. So I could imagine a few different scripts, for. all let's chuck a bit of that in there, give it some, a bit of a different flavor, make it not Star Trek or Star Wars.
0: I also remember this might have been the late 80s, but um, there was a really, I, I, I mean, I guess I feel like it's major because my parents took me there and it was in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is a good five hour drive from Atlanta, but there was a, um, a touring Ramses II exhibit. Uh, going around and that might have done a fair amount to uh, light a few fires on Egypt as well because it was really grandiose they had like shipped over like a you know a colossal sized statue and I would appreciate it now when I was like eight or
2: ten I was like whatever but yeah <laughs> but we I mean growing up near London I could go to the British Museum and see all the artifacts that we'd stolen anytime I wanted so
0: <laughs> yeah so it <there laughs> might be time to give some of that back but <laughs>
2: No, what's really upsetting is I actually went on a family holiday to Egypt when I was like ten years old, um, but I was too young to appreciate it. I barely remember anything.
3: Ah,
2: and okay. I would love to go and see all of that stuff again now, but it's a bit high. more difficult these days.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um. Hey Norm, you you said you had three points you wanted to throw by us, and I, I maybe you I think threw yeah we, we only those, got but... we only
2: got to the first one that Ra's not a good villain. <laughs> One of the did, other two things that would fix this movie.
1: One of the things that I really wanted to see happen, and and um, I think they were getting close to maybe this secret conversation between Colonel West and Jack O'Neill, because uh, I told this to, to Matthew offline before we started recording, and it just really didn't make a lot of sense for... Carole O'Neill to be at the very beginning of the film in the state that he was in. And all of a sudden, hi, I'm here. Everything gets passed through me. Nothing gets past my desk. Nothing gets past my eyes or ears. Mm. He's there with his great flat top. And then he's he, you know, he's on an, a one-way mission. Mm. Why? Right. So, I mean, there's the assumption as to why, but there isn't really kind of like the hard why. And I really wanted to see, there's a scene in the extended edition where Jack O'Neill opens up this doorway and he sees this, uh, relic of like a bunch of horse guards that are preserved, you know, they're, you know, they're fossilized mm. and then Colonel West comes up behind him and he says, and then and Jack says to him, he's like, you know, this complicates things. Now there's almost like a conversation where I wanted them to have, like, where West says, don't worry, Jack, we'll take care of your family, you know, or we'll take care of your wife. You just need to get done what needs to get done. Right. And Jack's like, don't worry. I will. And that's it. All you really needed is kind of like another reason like why he's going on this one-way suicide mission. Because I don't think that he was a suicidal character at the beginning. I think he was depressed and I think that he has is traumatic or he's being traumatized or was traumatized. But I don't think that he's I don't think that gun was meant for him. I think that gun was the gun that killed his son. And Mm -hmm. it's a reminder of why he's in the situation he's in right now. But I wanted that 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 scene where West is like, you do this and we'll take care of everything else on this end. You know, good luck, Jack. And that's it, right? It's an unspoken kind of uh, agreement that they had, and it would made you know it would have made just him showing up make a lot more sense than just "Hey guys, I'm here," <laughs> <laughs> right? I yeah, I guess here's
0: where you know what you watch in tandem like kind of does affect things because I, I I do the Twilight Zone. I just watched uh, Long Live. Um, not Water Matheson. He's the writer. Well, um, Jameson. Yeah, thank you, because you probably just listened to that. But yeah, yeah. The, guy, <laughs> the guy is like sitting there. He's like, every night, I just sit around with a gun for a while and decide if I'm going to pull the trigger. So... I watched that and then watched Stargate for uh, when we when we were about to do this a few weeks ago uh, with with a different guest that's not on Norm. (laughs) But um, yeah, so i watched those like probably one night and another. So when I see him with the gun at the beginning of Stargate, I'm like thinking the same thing. So I had a different impression, but that's probably because I just watched that Twilight Zone episode.
1: Well, I mean, that was something that plagued, say, like Martin Riggs's character in Lethal Weapon, you know, that, the, you know, there's a reason why he always had the gun in his hand and he always had that special bullet. and He told it to Murtaugh later on so that it mm-hmm. makes sense for the, the through line of that character's motivations. But it never made sense to me that that was the motivation for for O'Neill. Uh, so I just again, I just wanted some clarification. And the last thing, the last idea, um, let's see, well, I talked about Rob being the weakest link because he was no villain i uh, just talked about jack and i talked about the abydos uh mineral that should have powered the stargate that's why they just couldn't wheel of fortune the entire thing until they found mm-hmm. the right uh, chevron but um one of the last things i actually wanted to say is that stargate and highlander are, are, are really similar you know when it comes to what happened you know from the film to the tv franchise the films were good they weren't like i love highlander the films weren't great they were good mm. stargate wasn't great it was good but it became so popular that the the series afterwards became great. Highlander the series is a great series because it was a it was the way to be able to explore all the world building that could have happened in the movie, but never made it because you just don't have the time. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Stargate, right? Stargate obviously, you mean you had SG1, which is 10 seasons, you had Atlantis, which is five seasons, universe, which is one season or two. Two. That's a lot of TV off of one movie. I mean, at least mm-hmm. Highlander had. If you want to call them films, you had one film in four sequels, you know, and two of which were linked to the TV show itself. So not bad for a couple of, you know, also ran type of films. I know there's been um,
0: rumors for the past 15 years. So, you know, <laughs> maybe it's not a thing, but uh, Emmerich has shown some interest in returning, but saying, I want to make direct sequels to his movie Stargate without giving too much he was like "Ah, at the end of the third one this tv show could still happen but yeah his idea is just to remake not remake a follow-up on this movie so Mm. i don't i don't know if that'd be good or
2: not (laughs) i think i feel like if there's an audience who are like oh i'm up for some stargate they were probably all into the tv shows mm. i don't know what audience there is that's waiting for a sequel just to the i mean i would watch it and like it because i am more familiar with the film But I don't think there's legions of fans who are just waiting for the sequel to the the movie, which is the one true canon thing. And I don't think there's a big casual audience who remember this film either. I don't really know who that film would be for. And even
1: 1994, I mean, 94 is still close enough. And it's not like people haven't rebooted in shorter spans of time, but it's still too close to, I think, reboot an entire movie franchise based on, like, one movie. It just because the television franchise is so good and, and so like more recent in people's memories. Mm. Right. So, and they're going to have to rust. I mean, like MGM UA owns those rights. They they signed and transferred those rights away. So now Amazon has those buying out the MGM catalog, which is why you can't find Stargate on Netflix anymore. You know? So there's also rumors and you know, this is well-documented online that there's um, there are rumors that uh Amazon may be looking into investing into its own new Stargate reboot. You know, I, like I said, I, I make no claims to that, but um, if I may plug another website, you know, the gateworld.net, I mean, they they're on the up and up, they know their stuff. And there are definite talks that are happening with Amazon and the creators of the Stargate SG one series, you know, maybe bringing a new franchise to Amazon because they need more shows. Right. Mm. Yeah. Cause it's, <laughs> Oh, Amazon. I was about to say Stargate could cause it's
0: a lot, universe ended in what 2012 it's been 10 years since we had any uh anything new from the stargate universe. have they done any like uh, direct to dvd movies in the there years?
1: was um there was the stargate movie uh that had that basically covered um catherine's story i think it's start dark stargate origins i think it's called i saw uh, something about that which might be why i'm asking so <laughs> yeah but i think that's it though i think it i think it ended pretty much you know in total like with universe, uh, pre-crew yeah. web except for series, like Eagle Origins now, in 2018. Yeah, so so Eagle Moss, which is a a a, 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 a vendor of like you know, science fiction ships and they make like- tiny spaceships.
3: <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying <laughs>
1: to fill in for the internet shop. <laughs> They're releasing. Some really, really high ends that are expensive. And I'm just wondering, like, it's got to be something in the conscious that's, you know what, there's going to be a little bit more Stargate coming just, yeah. Yeah, yeah,
0: I guess Maybe. It, could, if you made a tiny Atlantis, it would still be really big. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, it is a very first, basically, Stargate does need its next generation to really, I mean, it already has a few series, but it needs its next generation, I think, to really get its tendrils into the the zeitgeist is basically a thing because you know star trek started to do that through the movies a little bit but solidified it with next generation like um uh, luke i don't know if i I saw the i sent you that article that i had i'd
2: actually seen it already being shared on the star trek facebook groups but yeah
0: it it was just a what are they doing with this new cast this is insane yeah old newspaper
2: (laughs) article from just before tng launches Basically yeah. saying all the same things that fans say now every time a new Star Trek comes along.
0: So the, the hating is not a new thing, uh, clearly. But I, I with Stargate, I don't think Stargate would get that kind of hate. It's a little more malleable, you know?
2: Well, and also I think people, it's been a while and people are just up for some more Stargate. Like yeah, yeah. That, I mean, if you ignore the internet idiot hate brigade, I think there are a, enough Star Trek fans who when Discovery came along were just like, Oh, i'm I've been ages, I want more Star Trek, and that's enough. And I suspect there are a lot of Stargate fans who are just like, "I haven't seen any Stargate in ten years. I, well, give me whatever. I'm up for it.
3: <laughs>
2: as long as I see a big swirly circle and I see some pyramids, I'm happy is
0: that is a digital effect and it's a digital in the movie, and then the series it's the other way around, is is it.
2: analog? I thought it's the other way around. I think it's practical in the movie. Oh, okay. Because I, I was thinking... Yeah, was, yeah, the movie really looks like water, and then... The
0: yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, a, yeah. That's, a that's right. blue. Maybe it's they went CGI for the TV show and eventually went back to the practical effect. I know that TV show made some kind of switch on the,
2: uh, on the Stargate effect at some point. Um, I just had a thought. If they were making another set of Stargate movies now, a Stargate series now, they should base it on, um, like, South American, Aztec, and Mayan, and Inca pyramids, that would be a cool aesthetic that hasn't been explored enough.
0: this single movie stand? Obviously, it was enough to begat an entire franchise, which is we've been talking about the franchise for the past 10 minutes. But if the film were just I like a, you, you compared it directly to Highlander, and I kind of feel like the Highlander is a better film, maybe because Stargate um pretty much walks the Hollywood beats beat by beat where the High- Highlander, you know, being kind of a fake Hollywood movie, um, has just a little bit of more weirdness about it, which I think helps it as, as a viewing experience.
2: I think this film is still a really fun watch. And I think its aesthetic and kind its of effects really stand up. But I don't think anyone is going to come out of this film being like, oh, that was the best thing I've ever seen. That was a masterpiece. But I also don't think anyone's going to come out of this film being like, Oh, that was a boring slug. Why did I watch that? It's mm-hmm. just, yeah, if you if you go in knowing, okay, I want to see a little bit of spaceships. I want to see a bit of pyramids. I want that kind of soundtrack. Yeah, you'll be happy.
0: Okay. I would say because I can come out of the Highlander and say, yes, that is the best thing I've seen where immortals chop off each other's heads and lightning goes all over the place. Mm. <laughs> so it, it's, I guess it's treading on a more specific concept than Stargate in some ways. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I guess you know how some directors they're better when they've got a bit of a something limiting them and like they have to get creative. I think Emmerich's the opposite. He does better when he's allowed to just go absolutely insane because he's got all the budget in the world.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and and you're someone that uh even as i mean I, I don't hate the movie but uh yeah you, you're fine with the late 90s godzilla as long as we refer to him as zilla right
2: yeah 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 <laughs> if we pretend that it's a remake of like um the piece from Twenty Thousand fathoms or whatever instead of putting it into the godzilla canon then yeah i like it as a monster movie
0: what is the uh what's the british monster movie there's a british 60s monster movie isn't there i don't i'm not sure what you're referring to but probably uh yeah it, because, uh, you know, a few other countries. That, I'll, I'll get back to you. There's definitely a British monster movie. So from the. Oh, yeah, I'm years. sure. But yeah, I don't, I don't know what one you're referring to. <laughs> There's also a North Korean monster movie, which. which uh, yeah, I, I do want to see that. Got to watch that one. <laughs> uh, Norm, I don't know how much we have or have you at the moment. But uh, how, how do you want to compare this one as a uh, just as a film, as a single film? How does this one hold up for you?
1: Well, it's again, it's just entertaining. And sometimes that's all it really needs to be you know, I, I, I agree with you, Luke. It's like, it's not gonna, it's not gonna like set anyone's expectations on fire. Uh, it has time travel in a way it has space travel in a way it has pyramids in a way it has history in a way it's, it doesn't really do any one thing. Great. Mm. It just, it does a bunch of like interesting things very mediocrely with mm-hmm. maybe a hint of greatness, like every once in a while. And I really do think that it just has, it, it, it all boils down to, there are some very charming, It's it has great talent in it. I mean, let's, let's be honest, you know, you have James Bader, you have Kurt Russell, you know, anchoring the movie. I mean, those are two very good powerhouse actors. Uh, the supporting cast is actually very good. I'm a big fan of John deal. I, I like him, uh, you know, as Kowalski who we get to see later on in SG one, uh, not John deal though, but it's just, it's a fun, memorable, up to a point movie where if you have a couple hours on a lazy rainy day, watch it. It's fun. Right. Um, but you're not going like to put it in a pantheon of any movies anytime soon, which is too bad because it could have been. That's the thing is that there's a lot of potential that's left on the cutting room floor or on the table. Um, and, and compared to Highlander, Highlander, it, it had a very specific look. You know, Russell Mulcahy, had a very specific desire to you know, make this film look a certain way. And it also had Queen behind it, right? A lot of people remember Highlander just because of the title song. You know, mm. uh, so um, they're like, "Oh, is that the is that the movie with the Queen song in it?" Yeah, right. Yeah. Now, well, to be fair, movie could
0: use Queen. So,
1: <laughs> David Arnold, David Arnold's probably the greatest thing that ever came out of Stargate. Mm. Right, his theme is phenomenal, which they used in SG1 as their opening theme too. So, if you haven't listened to the David Arnold soundtrack or score for Stargate, I highly recommend it. It's amazing. Apparently, this was his uh, first U.S. job. Mm-hmm. Yep. So- that's awesome. And he did it in a, he did it in a hotel room. You know, he composed <laughs> nice. in a hotel room um, and he went out to do some greater things, but yeah, he's just kind of like one of those guys where, I mean, you, if you want to have like these really interesting soundtracks or scores, like put him alongside say Craig Safin's the last star fighter. And when James Horner was doing like interesting stuff, like crawl, you know, like this is before like James Horner became really big and did Titanic and Braveheart and et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, like that's a really nice little trilogy of scores, you know, like kind of B-movie sounding kind of scores, and it's fun. You know, It's uh, it has a great throwback kind of feel to it, you know. I guess the one thing that, uh, that's why it was like, let's specify the
0: movie, because it is the first time that it begat the TV show that really rolled because I'm thinking what were the previous science fiction things where you have the movie, then the TV show planet of the apes, not a particularly good show, especially the live action one. Um, Logan's run, not a particularly good show. Um, I get, I mean, Battlestar, I guess you could say, but it was always a TV show, it was a TV they TV show and it. they
2: pretended it was a movie. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. So, and then, and that pulled it off, but yeah, that's the same beast. So, Uh, you know Stargate did kind of pull off a new trick at least Hmm. Um, any other big points we want to throw out on this one
2: I just I'd forgotten about them until Norm brought them up but the sort of the other soldier characters that go with them onto the planet like they're pretty Transformers yeah but (laughs) they're not really they're not coded as likable like they're all really mean to Daniel all the time (laughs) Especially
1: French Stewart's character, Ferretti. He is yeah. a, just a total not good guy.
2: Like, and uh, th- they're just, yeah, they're really, like, unproductively bullying the guy who can get them home.
0: <laughs> well, the guy that can get them home is, like, playing with alien beasts
2: as well. So that yeah. doesn't seem that sharp. <laughs> but, it's, yeah, it's a real, um, I don't think any film made post-9-11 would treat its soldiers that badly. Mm, You can't depict the soldiers as anything other than, especially in something this like mainstream. And, you know, if you're making an interesting film about what war does to people, then yeah, maybe. But in just like a blockbuster Hollywood piece like this, you've got to depict the boys as, you know, perfect angels these days.
1: (laughs) And it was there was like a little bit of a subtext of, you know, these are the alpha males like pushing around the nerd with glasses. I mean, they literally Mm -hmm. kick sand in his face. Yeah. Right, the 98 pound weekly. Right. Yes. Uh, definitely had Charles Atlas on the mind when that happened. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it, there's a lot of allegorical, you know, subtext to the movie, uh, but at the same time though, that's kind of stuff that doesn't appear until, you know, you watch it several times over or yeah. again, the conversations <laughs> like, like we're having right now. And, and, and that's just to try and, you know, to, to redeem like uh, what is general. Like I said, it's, it's a very vanilla film. And mm-hmm. It's there's nothing wrong with that. Like nothing has to be Earth shattering. Nothing has to be, you know, end of the world. You don't have to there's no like there's no real like galactic ending, you know, event that's happening in Stargate. You know, this mm. a bunch of a bunch of good guys have to take out a bad guy because and sometimes that's good enough. Right, you know, it's, it's sometimes, um, and it really, like, it really just falls short, just because I, like, I, I said earlier, I just think the villain is just really, really ineffectual. You know, it's just there's nothing that Ra does, and this is raw. right? You know, like everyone knows the name Ra from Egyptian mythology. So, yeah, it's just, um, it's it's a science fiction blockbuster that could have been way better than it was, but it was good enough to be able to do what it did, which is like basically launch like a two decades long, hundreds of episodes long franchise which, hey, I'll take it, right? I have but, one yeah. more
0: very important question. Uh, would you be the first to eat the alien meat? i do it, I'd, it in a second. Be, okay, you're in a second. I'm, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for you to go first. Uh, I'm Filipino. I'm pretty much eating <laughs> anything.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, Luke, I, I, I don't know what your answer is because we are in Japan and sometimes we
2: get served whale sperm. <laughs> yeah, I probably, I would, but the problem is, it looked kind of like a burger, like it would taste like seafood. <laughs> I don't <laughs> like seafood, but yeah, I, I you know I I do anything once.
1: Yeah, it, it was, reminded me of the scene from uh, in Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom where they cut open that snake dumbass. and it was like snake surprise <laughs> and all the eels came out of it. There was I,
0: uh, I saw something on Japanese TV and and um, the you know the Japanese TV can be extremely stupid where they said they were sending out the stereotype schoolgirl with the thick eyebrows played by someone who was not a schoolgirl, but that was her shtick and uh to go eat the snake ramen so <laughs> <laughs> i don't I, I i yeah i wouldn't try the snake ramen i've I, i'm getting pickier as i get older for some reason though so maybe 20 year old matt would eat
2: the snake ramen <laughs> ultimately though i think we can say at least stargate is better than gods of egypt okay yeah sure
0: <laughs> <laughs> i haven't seen gods of egypt but i'll agree with you <laughs> Don't <laughs> <laughs> that is Ridley Scott too. That's such a shame. Okay. <laughs> oh, that oh yeah. I but remember they
2: transform into now. like the weird CGI Power Rangers every time they have a fight. <laughs> right, right. And there's
1: some top talent, like actor talent in that movie, isn't it? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. There's some big actor talent being wasted in that
1: movie. <laughs> yeah, that's that was like one of those kind of like somebody lost a big bet kind of movies. Now you gotta make my film. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like, a, it's like a poker game. Right. It's like, OK, um, I don't have any money right now, but how about how about the script? I'll put <laughs> the script on there. Right. OK, sure.
0: Um, I guess we'll wheel this one in the house then. Uh, Norm, can you tell folks a little bit about what you do in the podcasting realm and where to find you?
1: Okay, so uh, I am a co-host of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. It's a podcast where we essentially say every single episode that we take a look at the morals, meanings, and messages of Star Trek every episode and try to see if it with uh, withstands the test of time. Uh, John Champion and I have been doing it for three years. Uh, together, but the podcast in and of itself has been going on for a little over 10 years. And right now we are in the middle of, or actually closing in on the end of season one of Voyager, since Voyager is only 15 episodes for its first season. So we're really looking forward to that. We just recently did um, an interview with David C. Fine and Darren Doctorman, you know, the two gentlemen who are responsible for the 4K restoration of the motion picture which you can see on Paramount Plus. And then you can also see on the big screen in your Fathom events. So make sure that you look out for that. But yeah, that's where you can usually find me. And then you can also find me on our, am I allowed to plug our Patreon? Oh, yeah, 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 that's what we're yeah. doing. <laughs> okay. So um, Mission Log also has a Patreon subscription service where you can subscribe for as little as a dollar a month. And then that gives you access to our Discord, where we have uh, a bunch of different conversations and threads going on ranging from all different types of science fiction to all different types of fandoms to especially food, which we love sharing pictures of, uh, music, uh, pretty much everything in between. So please check us out at patreon.com slash mission And yeah, I'm on that one. That's why I knew to wear a Hawaiian shirt today. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, sadly, uh, bad news as of, as of, you know, this recording, uh, two days ago, of, before this recording, Magnum PI on CBS has been canceled as of season four, there will be no season five, I am devastated about that, because I love the classic series, and I love the new series. Um, and uh, hopefully it'll get picked up by some other network with bigger pockets than CBS wants to shell out or Universal. Licensing is so strange and so interesting nowadays. I took a bath last night and then
0: went out to shave after. And right as I was shaving, I was like, "Oh, I should have kept the stash for this recording." But it oh, wouldn't, yeah. it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have had anything like a lusciousness to it. So maybe it's best that I did shave. <laughs> <laughs> no, we we know what happens when when you go for the stash, Luke.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know. It was like a sex pest. <laughs> <laughs> if you've enjoyed this podcast, you can find it on Twitter at MLSFSPod. Uh, Me and Matt do other podcasts. You can find all of our podcasts by going to patreon.com slash podcastio podcastius. Even if you don't want to throw us any money, that's a good place to find links to all of our shows.
0: What what, what was your mispronunciation
2: there? Podscadius? (laughs) Yeah, Podscadius. That's different. (laughs) That's the podcast I do with my German friend.
0: Ouch. (laughs) Okay. Well, Norm, thanks for joining us, as always. And, uh, I don't know, Luke, you want to sh- shove everyone through the portal today?
2: Yeah, I was going to try and do, like, a, one of those weird, deep, guttural gaol voices, but I don't think I can do it.
0: No, nah, it's like when I do the cookie monster in my classes, and then I have to do the cookie monster for ten minutes, and then I lose my voice. That's always so the that <laughs> So I'll just try my best, with you know, I don't know what to say, though. Um,
2: just say, go away. Go away. Let's see if
0: I can do a Bill Hicks style. Go away
3: there we go
2: (laughs) Zoom didn't like that
0: I think I'm way ahead on editing these.